the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. Bob Bergman here, broadcasting from my palatial office in San Jose, California. Yes, that's intended to be sarcastic. Um, a very simple office, and I find that it works better that way, uh, not having a, a very, very uh, um, extravagant office. In any event, first thing I want to let you all know that we're uh, about a week out now from my next estate planning workshop. Uh, it is, um, it's filling up very quickly. I just expanded it from 40 spots to 45 spots. I have 37 of the spots taken now, so we're getting down to the wire. There's only uh, eight spaces left for that workshop. It is a live workshop at the Silicon Valley Business Center uh, here in San Jose on Camden Avenue. It's about a quarter mile from my office, which is on Ross Avenue, just off of Hillsdale Avenue. And uh, Hillsdale actually uh, turns into Camden Avenue. Uh, they join together very short distance from my office. But uh, if you would like to Register for that. You can go to my website at lawbob, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com. Look for seminars and workshops. Click on that link in my website. <coughs> Excuse me. And it will take you to uh, a description of the workshop and then a button that you can click on to go register. Uh, there is no charge for this workshop. Uh, those who attend will be getting... A, a small binder with a copy of my California Consumer Guide to Wills, Living Trusts, and Estate Planning. That will be my uh, recently updated 2022 guide. So it is up to date now. And uh, and I just want to urge you all, if if you've been wanting to learn about estate planning and learn about what some of the issues are in estate planning, if you just want to uh, come and just get a little more knowledge or maybe even come and be entertained a little bit, my workshop starts at 9 o'clock on Saturday, February 12th, goes till about 1030, uh, possibly later uh, if people have a lot of questions and want to have more discussion about things. I'm open to staying later. 
Um, and again, you can register by going through my website at lawbob, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com, or by going to eventbrite, B-R-I-T-E dot com, and looking for estate planning workshop on February 12th. You can register that way as well. I'm looking forward to having a full turnout. Uh, masks will be required pursuant to local ordinance. And um, and again, I think it's it's a worthwhile thing to come to. I did a couple of these workshops back in 2020, the first live workshops I had done for about a year and a half. They were well received. And I plan on doing a workshop like this probably every other month or so here in 2022. But this is your chance to uh, to get some education. This is your chance to uh, meet me if you've been listening to me on the air. I'd love to have you come and see what I look like in person. See that I actually uh, don't just have a face that's good for radio. I think I'm actually a fairly good-looking guy. At least, my, at least my wife and my kids seem to think so. So consider registering. We have, again, I said only eight spaces left out of the 45 available. Walk-ups will be admitted if there is space available because of no-shows, but I can't guarantee I'll be able to let you in. I may get generous and let some walk-ups in anyway because I do have more room in the room than for 45 places. But register. I'd like to see it completely full before we hit next Saturday. So my usual format in this show is to go through questions and comments from around the state of California. But I also will take calls on the air if people do call in because they have an estate planning related question. Uh, what I'm going to suggest is this. Just Sorry, just shifted my chair a little bit, a little more comfortable. If you'd like to speak with me on the air and have a question for me on the air, my number is 800-516-1220, like the call numbers of KDOW. 800-516-1220. My engineer is standing by to take your call and let me know you'd like to speak with me on the air. But uh, unless and until that happens, I'm going to now start the uh, usual format of my show with some questions and answers from around the state of California. First, out of Oceanside, California. Person said, my deceased mother's trust left everything to me, and then if I died, it would go to my son. Do I need a new trust leaving everything to my son, or is my mom's trust still valid? Well, the answer to that, what sounds like a simple question, could be very complicated. If the trust says, I leave everything to my son, John, if he's still living, otherwise to my grandson, Jimmy, then you're, you've already received that inheritance through that trust, which means that mom's trust doesn't work anymore uh, to pass things on to your son, the grandson at your death, because you've already received the property, you're entitled to it, so it's now yours. It's no longer mom's property 
to decide where it goes. It could be a trust that leaves everything in trust for the son for his lifetime and then on his death passes it on to his son, the grandson. That's not nearly as common. That's uh, basically what I refer to as a castle trust, technically a generation-skipping transfer trust. That's the legal term. I know I'm wowing you with that. Um, but that would be a much more, um, it's, it's less likely, rather, that that would be the type of trust here. So I think this person is probably going to need to do their own trust now that they're receiving property from their mother's trust. And that way they could set up perhaps a lifetime trust for their own child so that it could be given in trust for their child with asset protection and some other benefits that flow from that uh, and then passed on to the next generation after that. Okay. Um, out of Costa Mesa, California. This was, uh, looks like it was submitted just a few days ago. Person says, I was written into a trust. The grantor passed and gave the duties to someone else. Now, the trustee is withholding information from me, specifically the amount of the trust, the spending on the account information, has not given me complete paperwork and only tells me the amount. I believe this amount is incorrect and should be almost double. What do I do? Well, I'll tell you. Stay tuned after the first break of the show today for the answer to that question. And if that's not a tease to get you to keep listening to the show, I don't know what is. So when we come back after the first break today, this is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio, and I'll answer this question on the other side of the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. So, before the break, I was talking about a trust where the grantor of the trust had died and gave the duties to someone other than the beneficiary of the trust. And that would mean uh, has a trustee taking over that's other than the beneficiary. The person indicated the trustee's withholding information, specifically the amount of the trust spending on the account, has not given complete paperwork, only tells the amount. Person said they believe the amount to be incorrect and should be almost double. What should they do? I'll say, first of all, that the trustee taking over that trust has a legal obligation to, first of all, provide to all beneficiaries a copy of the terms of the trust. That's a legal obligation. Second thing, they have an obligation to provide uh, an accounting to all beneficiaries. And uh, that's basically an accounting at least, um, uh, I believe, every 90 days, maybe six months, but I think it's actually 90 days. Um, or, and, and But the other thing is they have an obligation to keep beneficiaries reasonably informed about what's going on. When the beneficiary has specifically asked for this information, 
and the trustees unwilling to provide it, ultimately the beneficiary might have to go to court to ask that a court compel that information to be turned over or in the alternative that that trustee be removed as the trustee for failure to act in the best interest of the beneficiary. Now, before people start calling or booking appointments with my office, I don't do litigation, meaning I don't go to court and fight in court about things. I've done litigation in the past as an attorney in other practice areas than estate planning, and I found that uh, I did not enjoy it one bit because by nature I'm not really a combative person. That doesn't mean that I can't be combative if the situation calls for it, but I don't like going to court and fighting with people. Um, it's not really something that uh, gets me up in the morning, uh, to use the expression. So um, if you have a situation like this, don't contact me to think I can help you with that. You need to start looking around for an attorney in your area that does probate or trust litigation and works in the court system where the trust where the trustee is actually located because that's where something like this would happen. That's where an action would typically be brought, and that's in the county where the trustee is conducting the business of the trust, which could be a completely different county from where the owner of the trust resided. Okay, here's a question. How do I protect my future inheritance from current and future creditors? This out of Los Angeles, California says, my parents have a property they want to pass down to me and my sister when they pass. They're about to start drafting their estate plan, but the problem is my sister has some medical debts and a few collections, and I think a judgment. We're worried that the creditors will attach a lien on the property once we receive it. I've been reading about irrevocable trusts and think that might be the way to protect her share from creditors, but I'm not exactly sure. I've read and talked to an attorney who says the creditor could still get the money because it was, quote, protected in an illegal manner. Okay, well, let's talk about this. If the parents own the property, they could set up an irrevocable trust, transfer the property into that trust, and have their two children as the beneficiaries of that trust, and put limitations on what the property in that trust could be used for in reference to the two children to provide asset protection. However, probably a bad idea because of Proposition 19, because that's going to end up having the property reassessed. And assuming that the parents are still living in that property because that's their residence, not a good idea. However, this is the classic situation to use what I refer to as the Castle Trust. The Castle Trust typically is set up by a parent so that when the parent dies, property passes into trust for the beneficiary, which typically a child or children, maybe grandchildren, maybe even other relatives, maybe even unrelated parties that you just want to benefit and take care of. And when it passes in that way, then what happens is it's typically held in trust for that person's lifetime. 
the person can be the trustee of their own trust. But in the case of the trusts that I draft that are like this, I also make it clear that if that person gets into financial difficulties that uh, where they might be sued or there might be a judgment taken against them, that they step down as the trustee of that trust and appoint a third-party, unrelated trustee to take over and make distribution decisions for them. This is very important because that third-party trustee can't really be ordered by a judge to pay a creditor because the trust will say they're not allowed to pay a creditor. And, and so there's a lot of asset protection because of that. It's not absolute 100%, but it's very, very high. In the case of the sister that already has collection activities against her and debts and things like that, then a trust should be set up for that for the sister out of the parent's estate plan when they die, where someone else entirely is put in charge of the sister's share. It could be her brother, the one who's asking the question in the first place, or it could be a professional trustee or some other relative or a close family friend of the parents. The point is you would want to make sure the sister does not have any direct or even indirect control over her inheritance. And that would provide a high level of protection against it being lost to one or more creditors of the sister. And that includes current creditors of the sister. And that's because the inheritance from the parents is not subject to the sister's creditors unless she receives the inheritance directly, which unfortunately is what happens most of the time. Because most families where they have a child that has uh, collection activities against them or maybe even is financially disabled, meaning financially incompetent, even if they're not legally incompetent, well, an inheritance gets left to that person and it gets lost to the creditor or it gets blown by the beneficiary because they can't handle money or maybe they have a, an abuse problem an alcoholic, a drug abuser, a gambling addiction, all kinds of things like that. That's where the Castle Trust planning can be a godsend for the family and avoid having the inheritance be lost completely. Well, we're coming up on the mid-show break. I want to let you all know again, you can turn around and you can call in with a question at 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. But barring anybody calling in, we'll come back after the break with more questions and comments here on Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, attorney Bob Bergman. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back to the third segment of our show today. Um, I... I'm going to do some more of the um, questions and comments from around the state of California. I have a number of them in here in front of me. And um, this one comes out of La Jolla, California, or for people from the East Coast, La Jolla. <laughs> and uh, and the, the question is, can a California special needs trust obtain a new trustee by moving to another state. 
Okay, so what I'm gathering from this question is someone wants to move the the situs, what's called the situs, or the 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 place where a special needs trust is administered, and um, you'd have to determine whether or not the trust is able to be moved. There are procedures that can be followed to do that, and uh, if the idea is to move it to another state because that's where the special needs person is relocating, then uh, it may be that having a trustee that's in that state makes a lot more sense for uh, base, uh, simply uh, for the reason that um, that you that by having that trustee in that other state, what you're doing is you're actually um, you know, you're actually going to be excuse me I didn't clear my throat there you're actually going to be uh, having them closer to the special needs person so they can make better decisions for them. It's kind of hard for a trustee to be, especially for a special needs person, to be a long distance away from uh, someone that they're handling things for because harder for them to interact, maybe even interact personally, uh, to determine what the person may need, what things they might need to supplement whatever assistance they're receiving, uh, to pay for various things, all of that. So that is, uh, but yes, it is likely possible to do. Uh, it may be able to be done by the terms of the trust. It may be able to be done uh, through the court. Um, but there is a way to get that done if it's truly necessary. Okay, out of San Bernardino, California. And this is an interesting one. And I'm sure there there's other people out there that are in a similar situation to uh, to this person, said uh, the co-owner of a house died a few months ago. The owner of the house died a few days ago. My family and I have been living with the owner for many years to help tend to the house and help care for the owner's health. So basically, caregivers. Since both owners have died, how can I stay at the house I've lived at for years? Well, Unfortunately for this person, the short answer is you can't stay there unless whoever is inheriting the house decides that you can. And it may involve being a tenant and actually paying rent. But there's no absolute right to stay there just because you were there and taking care of the house and helping the owner for many years you possibly might be entitled to some financial compensation for the value of your services, which would probably be offset by the rental value of being able to live there, presumably rent-free. But there's no way to just stay there without the consent and permission of whoever is going to inherit that property. That's just a fact. I, I wish for this person's sake that there was... Uh, some other um, some other answer for that, but um, that's really not going to be the case. Uh, they're going to have to uh, pretty much um, likely move because 
especially if the new owners come in, decide they want to sell, maybe want to sell to someone who wants to live there in their house, or they want to live in the house as their own house, these people are going to have to move. Okay, out of Corona, California, uh, someone says, I'm creating a living trust, and my husband is going to be the beneficiary of my living trust. Does my husband need to be listed on the mortgage title of the property to avoid probate when I die? No. Um, if it's your property and you put it into your trust and you provide that it's going to go to your husband at your death, it's the fact that it's actually in a trust that avoids probate. Assuming it's been properly titled into the trust ownership, then um, that would be kind of the short answer right there. Uh, you would be able to um, uh, you would be able to uh, pass it on to your spouse without going through the probate process. And that's pretty much uh, pretty much it right there. Okay, can a tenant in common of a half interest in a house put that half interest into a trust? Well, the, the answer to that question is yes. It says mom passed, left a trust, but it happened suddenly. And um, uh, she wasn't able to sign and file a tenants in common document to get her half into the trust. Oh, okay, that's a little different. Now that she's passed, is it possible? Or do I have to get uh, the document into the trust in order to get my 50% interest in the house? Uh, anyway, is there a way to avoid probate? Okay, so what it sounds like was that mom actually um, actually put had a property, had a tenant in common interest of half, set up a trust, but didn't get a chance to put that half interest into the trust. Well, this comes into the, the land of Hegstat petitions, uh, which you've heard me talk about before. If you've been listening to any length of time to my show, I've talked about them almost four years for now. Because in March, I'll be coming up on four years on the air. And the short answer is, if there is written evidence that she intended that half interest of the property to go into the trust she was setting up, then you can probably go to court with something called the Hegstat petition to have the court declare that that half interest is part of the trust. That's typically done by having it be on a schedule of assets that lists it as part of the trust, uh, perhaps having it identified in the trust as I leave my interest in, and she identifies the property uh, to my son, John, um, that would be uh, written evidence of intent because the trust was presumably signed by the mother. Uh, if there's a pour over will, which is a special will that says everything in my individual name that's otherwise go through probate, I want to instead go into uh, my trust, well, then in a situation like that, uh, we'd be looking at, uh, we'd be looking at 
having the um, excuse me, we'd be looking at having the um, will maybe combined with other things in place to uh, to make sure that things make it into the trust. So um, in the absence of that, um, there may need to be a probate of this property if there's no written evidence of any intent. That's kind of the short answer to things right there. I know it's not necessarily the best answer, uh, but it is um, it, it is basically what the situation would be. Okay, let's see. We're moving on here now. Can a, let's see. Okay, that looks like that might be the same question answered a different way. Out of Danville, California. What do I do if I can't find a signed copy of my mother's trust? It says, my sister and I are co-trustees of my deceased mother's trust. There are no other heirs or beneficiaries. We have several copies of the trust, but not a signed copy. How do we proceed? When and to whom might we need to provide the trust? Well, first of all, if your mother actually owned anything, if she owned a house um, that's titled in the name of the trust, you would need to provide a copy of the trust when you when you transfer that property out of the trust or sell. Um, and, and that would be to the assessor. They would need to see that. Um, if there's bank accounts that actually have uh, that actually own um, property in the trust, well, you have to kind of look there and say, gee whiz, uh, uh, we may need to provide a copy of the trust or proof in order to take over those bank accounts. But uh, I'd say see if you can find out who prepared the trust for your mother. Maybe that person has a, a copy of the signed trust. Um, I would look through every single place that an important paper could be kept. I would even go one step further and uh, say if there was a safe deposit box, see if you can get access to safe deposit box uh, but it, it might be actually kind of difficult to um, do anything without an actual signed copy of the trust if you can't provide that you may be looking at a probate that is intestate meaning uh, that there is no will that can be used Okay, we're coming up on the third break for the show today. When we come back, I will finish out the show with a few more questions and comments around the state of California. This is a state planning attorney, host of Plan Your State Radio, and I'll finish up the show after this final break. Now, back to Plan Your State Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back for the final segment of the show today. And uh, I'm going to finish up the show with a few more questions and comments and then uh, talk a little bit more about my upcoming workshop uh, on Saturday the 12th. Uh, this out of Modesto um, question, is it legal or ethical to give copies of a trust to a sibling? All siblings are mentioned and will receive equal shares of the trust. Well, I think kind of the answer to that question depends on at what point 
if we're talking about giving copies of the trust to siblings after the creator of the trust has died, then actually that's kind of a legal requirement. If we're talking about giving copies of the trust to a sibling while the, the creator of the trust is still alive, that's a little more problematic. Um, now, in many cases, family members already have copies of the parents' trust, for example, uh, because the parents have shared that with them. Um, but really, the short answer to that question is a definite yes, a definite no, or maybe. Uh, it is really based on the actual situation, the actual circumstances. But, um, but and if someone asked me, I would want to know, well, what's happened? Is, did your parent pass away? Are you the successor trustee? All kinds of things like that. Okay, uh, out of Chatsworth, California, and this one's a, this one's kind of a, a, a doozy in many ways, and yet I'm sure it's probably a situation that does come up now and then. The person said, um, "My father passed in January of this year, so it looks like the father died a little more than a month ago. My brother, niece, uncle, and myself." are beneficiaries of the trust. It doesn't appear there's much value at that time in the trust. The two successor trustees on the document have elected not to take on responsibility, so they've declined to serve. I would like to take on the responsibility to honor my father. My niece seems to want control, but I think recognizes from her location in Florida, it's unlikely and time demanding. My brother was a bit distant from my father, states he's not interested, yet he keeps making decisions. My experience is that he's focused on gain, and I'm focused on the process of caring for my father's wishes. Since the previous trustee stepped out, my understanding is that our family must elect someone. I've suggested myself or offered to be co-trustees. My brother seemed to agree to the latter, after many conversations, but today when we spoke, he wants to sell things off quickly, go in our father's house to take things. I shared that I'm not going to do anything we're not allowed by law since there is a trust, and we must first list assets, deal with creditors and expenses, taxes, and then see what remains. How can I become trustee? Well, kind of a short answer there is, first of all, you look at the trust and see if there's a procedure to have a trustee appointed if anyone who is nominated as a trustee is unwilling or unable to serve. Um, many trusts, such as the ones that I draft, will actually have uh, procedures, often would involve um, a majority of the income beneficiaries of the trust, people entitled to receive income generated by the trust assets, actually picking the trustee to take over or trustees to take over. Um, many trusts only say that you, you have to do that by going to court and having one appointed by the court. And that would be where uh, you might have dueling petitions to appoint a trustee. Um, in general, you would probably find that um, the closest relative to the parent who died it would be the one that would kind of have the priority for 
for being appointed. That would certainly happen if there was a probate. In that case, it would be this person and their brother. But um, it, it sounds like one person wants to actually do what's right, and one person just wants to kind of do a slop job and gather everything and sell it and take his share and ride off into the sunset. So this is a situation that is probably going to uh, end up with a fight in court if they cannot work it out through mediation or something like that. Okay, um, I'm going to do one more and then we're going to call it a day. This is, uh, <clears throat> someone says, I'm being asked to sign, <clears throat> excuse me, a trustee resignation document that contains language stating that I, quote, ratify, approve, and confirm in all respects the administration of the trust by John Doe and all acts in connection with the administration of the trust. This is not true, will never be true, but the trustee says, Otherwise, it will entail great cost and time on my part. And there's other beneficiaries and a deteriorating parcel of real estate due to trustee neglect and mismanagement. I'm absolutely willing to promise not to sue. Can I cross out this paragraph and sign the document? I'm not willing to lie on a notarized statement or any statement. Well, I would tend to agree with that. I think you go back and say you're not willing to do that redraft the document. I agree not to sue, but I'm not going to ratify anything you did or may have done, especially when I know I do not agree with that statement. Okay, just one more reminder. My workshop is next Saturday morning. You can go to Law Bob and register. Until next week, this is Attorney Bob Bergman. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.